Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Welcome to another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm your host, Joe Velarde, and I'm so excited to have on the podcast my good buddy all the way in um, Wilkes-Barre area, uh, Scranton, uh, doing his thing, Tim Walker from Restored Church. He's a huge office fan. Uh, he uh, literally uh, has his church in the building where the office was filmed. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> uh, but seriously, we are, are excited to have Tim on the podcast. And what I've said throughout this season is we have moved outside of the immediate Lehigh Valley area of the podcast specifically to help us to learn from others and how they're pivoting in light of COVID, uh, what they're doing in the midst of all these stresses, tensions, and, and all that's going on. Uh, the second thing is these, these individuals have impacted my vision for the Valley. And so I think it's important for you to hear from them. And then the third reason is that I just have a lot of questions about life and leadership. And I think it's selfish for me to take all that knowledge uh, uh, from them and just for myself. So I said, you know what, why don't I hit the record button and let people hear this conversation. So Tim, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me. Oh, dude, it's, it's our, our pleasure and joy. So tell us a little bit about yourself and Restored Church. Yeah, so I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. Go blue. Mm -hmm. I moved to northeastern Pennsylvania about 12 years ago. Uh, and 10 years ago, uh, my best friend Dan and I started dreaming about planting a church together. Uh, so we spent two years being developed by our sending church in Scranton. Uh, moved to Wilkesbury in 2012. And literally, our church started in a living room with four people. Mm. Uh, we were all single. We were all under the age of 25. This was all our very first uh, experience in positional church leadership. But we were all convinced uh, that Wilkesbury desperately needed the hope of Jesus. And we wanted to do whatever we could to reach people and to see a new church started. Uh, so oftentimes I tell people really the, the story of Restored Church is that God has done something much bigger and much quicker than we would have imagined. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite things to tell people about the story of our church is we've had the privilege of baptizing 127 people since we started. And there's nothing more exciting than seeing people go public with their faith in Jesus. Some of our most recent baptisms were uh, a former Satan worshiper who literally walked to our church dumpster and threw her satanic Bible in it because she said, this book no longer tells me how to live. Uh, we had an atheist who walked into our church, started reading the gospel of John for himself. And literally after seeing the life and words of Jesus, uh, right there in his apartment, dropped down and gave his life to Jesus. So just some incredible stories of transformation, life change, and super exciting uh, also exciting. I met and married my wife at our church. Uh, so she was one of the first people to, to come early on right before our grand opening. So, uh, my wife, Heather and I are celebrating our fifth anniversary this October, which is pretty exciting. Thanks. Talk about taking your shepherding to a whole nother level. You know what yeah, I, mean? I know, right? <laughs> no, my, my wife took a major risk. She uh, ended up dating her pastor. That's a that's a pretty major <laughs> risk right there. So, uh, that the could be that could be a out, that's a thankfully. that's a title of a, a book, non uh, non scandalous book, but uh, dating my pastor. <laughs> Lessons learned in the there trenches. There will also be a chapter in there called "Dumping My Pastor," but that's probably another podcast for another time. We dated, she dumped me, we got back together, and here we are, five years into marriage, two little girls. Uh, Lucy is three and a half. Emily is fifteen months. Uh, so lots of, lots of fun and life and leadership in this season. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, one of the things I appreciate about Tim is uh, his heart for people and specifically in that area. And, and a lot of people listening uh, may or may not know that, you know, Lehigh Valley, uh, Wilkes-Barre area, there, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, they're two of the fastest growing areas in, in our state. But they're also some of the hardest places uh, to 
reach people to get something started. And that's not limited to the church either. Uh, that's also in the business world, like even to get something started and see it sustain and, and last uh, because of just all the, the challenges that are, that are, uh, are looming um, in, in the reality of this culture and, and the people that make up these areas. And we, and we love, we love these people. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, Tim, is even as you think about, you know, what God has allowed you to do and be a part of, what, what has been some of your takeaways as far as, you know, this is not an easy area by any means, but, but what's given you like just staying power and recognizing like, hey, not only the call part of it, but hey, we, we're seeing fruit as we do, you know, you fill in the blank. <laughs> you know what I mean? What would yeah. you say to that? Yeah, I think calling's a big part of it. Like mm-hmm. calling gets you in the game and there are also seasons where calling keeps you in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like, calling has specifically translated to just a real brokenness for uh, our geography, just a real deep seated passion to see people come to Jesus. Uh, Because for as many stories as we have of people coming to Christ, we've got just as many, if not more stories of people who haven't yet come to Jesus, whose lives we are actively involved in, who we are consistently praying for and just, seeing the, the, the need of this city and seeing just um, th- this area is pretty depressed spiritually, economically, socially, and in a lot of different ways. But uh, one of the fruits of that is that people are highly skeptical of new people and new things. Mm-hmm. So it took us quite a while to move from being outsiders to being insiders. Yeah. Um, and so It's taken a long time and a ton of work behind the scenes, uh, apart from the external tangible like fruit that we've seen uh, beneath that. There's been a whole lot of blood, sweat and tears when it comes to building relationships and earning trust. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, our vision as a church is giving every man, woman and child repeated opportunities to hear, see and respond to the gospel. And so we've tried to just stay laser focused on that and just realize that that comes with some fruit, but it also comes with a, a lot of opposition, a lot of difficulty. Um, and through that, I've really seen God transform my heart, transform the heart of our people. You know, I, I, I love hearing stories. There's a lady in our church recently that said, before coming to Restored, I was scared of my neighbors mm. because they didn't believe what I believed. And I was scared to start those conversations. But mm. since coming and being a part of the community there, God's really cultivated in me just a, a real heart of wanting to see them come to Jesus. I'm praying for them. I'm interacting with them. I'm having me, I'm having them over to my house. They're having me into their house. Our kids mm-hmm. are playing together. And I love seeing that gospel heart replicated because really that that's why we came here in the first place. And that's what we want to be a part of uh, across the board. You know, there's some great gospel centered churches in our city. We're incredibly thankful for them. Uh, we're really standing on the shoulders of, foundation they laid for decades before we ever showed up um so we've really just sought to play a small part in something much larger that god's doing in our area and we're pretty excited to see what he's doing yeah and i think it's important for people to understand too like uh a lot of times the fruit doesn't come without faithfulness so like and and the fruit's gonna look very different you know in different seasons just like when the harvest comes in and there's like the planting and the plowing time but at the end of the day, the thing that remains the same is to build those relationships. And so, as you said about becoming an insider versus an outsider, Tim, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's true. What are, what are some of the things that you guys had to do to become insiders in the community? And I know I'm, this was not a question I gave you before. No, that's great. Yeah. So our first experience um, <laughs> moving into downtown Wilkes-Barre, uh, we had two row houses right next to each other. And we started meeting our neighbors. Our neighbors consisted of two Megan's Law sex offenders, hmm. uh, a woman who had been rescued from sex trafficking, hmm. um, a heroin dealer, a 18-year-old girl who was sleeping around with any, any guy that she could find, and a bunch of drunk college frat parties. Hmm. That was our neighborhood. <laughs> and I remember just feeling so inadequate and so just overwhelmed with, God, how in the world am I ever going to reach these people? Like their, their value system, their life experience, every, everything is so different from, from what I've, I've been used to. 
Um, and, and so I, I think it really has just been one person at a time. Yeah. You know, I, I, I remember a moment where, you know, the, my, my next door neighbor, Megan's lost sex offender. There, there is a particular um, label that has defined his life. There's a particular uh, perception that comes mm-hmm. with that. And I'll be honest, I did not want to love that guy. Mm-hmm. That, that was a real battle in my heart. Um, and, and a really transformational moment because I remember there was a moment where, uh, just trying to be positioned for opportunities, just to be aware of the needs in people's lives and trying to be present and active within those, uh, their family had hit a, a hard stretch. And I remember going over and knocking on their door and just saying, Hey, can I, can I bring you guys dinner tonight? So I drove out to KFC, you know, I'm a young bachelor. I didn't have any cooking skills. So I drove out to KFC, bought a $20 bucket of chicken. And it's amazing what that, what an opportunity that $20 bucket of chicken brought me. Mm. I remember going into their house and I brought them the food and they invited me in to stay for dinner. Dan and I were both there. I remember going in and again, I didn't really want to like naturally everything inside of me uh, did not want to engage in that, but I, I couldn't shake this feeling like, when Jesus was here, Jesus intentionally prioritized and pursued those who's, those who were outcast in society, those who were on the fringes of social acceptance. And I've got to believe that if Jesus was here, uh, he would pursue uh, someone with a really rough story in the same way. And I remember hearing, hearing that guy's story and hearing his brokenness over something that happened 20 years ago and just working through a lot of that. And then understanding that he lived with the belief that he was beyond forgiveness mm. and, and being able to, to sit in his living room over a bucket of chicken and to share the gospel that because of Jesus, no one's beyond forgiveness. I remember walking away from that and just asking God to forgive me for, for having any air of superiority about me to believe that I was any more deserving of Jesus's forgiveness than he was. Cause I'm not, um, and, and after sharing the gospel and after just getting into people's lives and loving them and being present and serving them and just, um, you know, having the posture of, I want to see and meet needs, um, little by little, one person at a time, one conversation at a time, one story at a time, trying to lead by example, trying to replicate that in our people. It really hasn't come through any massive initiative or major moment, but it's been a, a lot of ordinary moments that have piled up into extraordinary transformational moments, um, in life and leadership. Um, so yeah, just seemed like that was, that was kind of the trial by fire right from the beginning. What was cool is our, our church's very first, uh, community, uh, very first small group was uh, built with our neighbors, Mm -hmm. The, the people who initially we had no idea how we were going to reach them or how we were going to engage in their lives, we were able to build relationships. And there was a willingness to dialogue about scripture. So they just started coming over or come over on Thursday nights, hang out, we'll have dinner for an hour. And then we discuss the Bible for an hour. And many of those neighbors came and many of those neighbors engaged in hearing the questions and concerns they had about God, faith, life, the Bible, and more like, it was awesome. It was very clear right from the beginning, God, this is why we're here. And so from that very moment, that's what we wanted to be all about. That's really cool. Because I, I think one of the things that's not missed or shouldn't be missed is that you, the name of the church is Restored Church. And it is about bringing restoration in that community and in people's lives and relationships. And I, I think that um, a lot of times what we, we miss, and one of the things I really do appreciate about Tim, um, even though he, he, I love how he describes himself, he's a introverted extrovert (laughs) i'm a friendly introvert really introvert yeah i forgot you said it you said it a lot better than i said it there but uh you know just until but even for his introvertedness his value on relationships and i'm very extroverted guy um and i and people think naturally yes extroverted people are are like people you know a people person and that can be that is true but i think sometimes what could be missed is the intentionality to connect and relate because you can connect with so many people. So like, Hey, my network and and all that stuff is good, but that you forget 
I think the value of what Tim just described about just showing up and even for the introvert to get past the uncomfortability of like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say here. <laughs> what should I, you know, a bucket of chicken? I mean, for me, I, I'm from Atlanta. So anytime you mention fried chicken, I'm like, oh, that's my favorite food. I'm, I'm come running. But, uh, you know, just the idea that, you know, as we, as we think about our, our leadership, never negate the power of showing up in people's lives again and again and again. Um, really, no matter what you do, whether you're a pastor, church planner, business leader, stay-at-home parent, uh, homeschooling, especially in light of COVID, uh, we all have the power to relate and to connect. And I think it's it's vital, especially in the time and age that we live right now. And this is before COVID, and now this is even in the midst of COVID and afterwards, because there is such a disconnection going on right now. And we really need places to share our lives with and to be pointed towards the, the life we were intended for, like to be pointed to the truth that we were created on purpose and for a purpose. And so as I think about that, it doesn't surprise me that as uh, pastors and leaders are trying to work through their post <laughs> uh, shutdown phases, which I, I don't know what we were at technically right now, because it seems like it changes every day. Uh, but you know, where we're, we're past the point where we're, uh, encouraged not to gather in large settings because of COVID uh, that when I was talking to Tim, one of the things he was doing that I just felt like was very important um, to, for us to hear about was he was going a different direction and not to negate what he had done before, but rather to say, Hey, I'm recognizing I, I've got to make a pivot. I got to make a shift. Uh, there's some real limitations to what we're able to do. And so this introduced this concept that I think was really, really important um, called micro gatherings. And I wanted you to hear a lot of different things from Tim, but specifically I wanted him to, to j jump into and tell us about the idea of pivoting from an in-person large gathering to in-home micro gatherings. And just, I wanted you to share with us about that decision and, you know, how that came about for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let me preface by saying that I think that one of the difficult things as leaders, and especially church leaders, is there are no silver bullets. There's no one size fits all solution. So when I talk about uh, what we're specifically doing, we believe this is a specific call that God's given to us. We don't think that this needs to necessarily be carbon copied in every place. I, I think that Every church must make individual contextualized decisions based on their size, space, demographics, and more. So specifically for our context, this is what we believe uh, God's called us to. So really, community has always been a part of our DNA as a church. I, I told you we started as four people in a living room. Uh, we didn't have a building. We didn't have money. We didn't have uh, you know any traditions to uphold. We had a blank slate, uh, and we used what we had. And at that time, it was a living room. Um, so yeah, community has always been built into the DNA of our church before we ever launched weekly Sunday gatherings. We had, uh, multiple groups meeting throughout our region, uh, to really ingrain, uh, connection and community all throughout the week. Um, so that, that was an important part of our foundation and our journey. Uh, so prior to COVID, we actually had 90% of our 250 people connected in community group. So community has been something that's not only ingrained into the value system of our church, but also has been replicated into the lives of our people. Mm -hmm. um, so based on that, that kind of caused us to ask some different questions and to, to maybe approach it a little bit differently. Uh, we often say that church is not an event you attend. It's a community that you engage in. Uh, so can't have a large event right now, but we can sure still engage in community. Um, so really as, as we, entered into the COVID season after probably about four weeks, um, started to say, okay, what we don't want to do is we don't want to make decisions in a vacuum where we are just controlled by this six-day rotation of just planning for the next Sunday, mm -hmm. planning for the next week or the next weekend. We, we've really got to start to figure out what are the guiding principles that are going to inform our direction. So really there were four guiding principles that, that we set out uh, early on in April. Uh, first was we will prioritize the health and safety of our people. Um, friend of mine early on in March had a pretty big outbreak in his church. 
and uh, just understanding some of the health and safety risk uh, that large gatherings presented. We really wanted to prioritize the health and safety of our people. Uh, we're an urban church here in Wilkes-Barre. Um, so one of the unique factors is many of our people live in apartment buildings, high rises and housing units with many, many elderly and immune compromised neighbors. So we never wanted to risk anyone bringing something to the gathering that could be spread, or we didn't want to risk anyone leaving a large gathering and potentially infecting an entire community of people, uh, which kind of flowed into the second principle. We want our city to be thankful for the way that we navigate this season. Um, one of the, the main threads of our church's story is we've worked really hard to win the trust of people in our city. We've worked to build a lot of relationships with key leaders uh, throughout our area uh, and really position ourselves to be working alongside of them long before COVID ever started. Uh, so now that we're in this cultural moment, we don't want to do anything that would jeopardize those relationships or jeopardize uh, the reputation of the gospel that we've worked very hard to protect and to build up. Um, even thinking about contact tracing, you know, if, if a COVID positive person were to be in a large gathering, then we'd be having to ask small business employees and owners to potentially call off work, shut down their business, quarantine for a particular period of time. So we didn't want to run that risk either. Uh, third principle was that we would stay committed to our mission while being creative with our methods. Uh, micro gatherings really flow out of that. I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, I love something that Preston Sprinkle recently said. He, he said, for the first 300 years of Christianity's existence, they rarely, if ever, had a large indoor gathering. And yet they turned the world upside down through small gatherings and through radical acts of being the church, rather than just going to large indoor church services. Let's not equate the government's temporary ban on indoor gatherings as a ban on church. Mm -hmm. So for us, we've said, man, there are, there are a lot of ways that we can operate in smaller ways, even if we can't operate in larger ways right now. And then the last principle was we will move as fast as is wise. Uh, we didn't want to just stall out and want to shrink back. We didn't want to miss uh, the uniqueness of the opportunity that are brought to us in this time. Uh, and really over, over the last couple months, even the, the conversation has shifted from physical health to spiritual health. The mm -hmm. physical health component is real and it's vital and it's important. And we've had people in our church that have caught COVID and there's a very real physical health crisis, but We've even just been talking about, okay, what does all this mean for our spiritual health? So for us, we believe that it will produce greater spiritual fruit for us to gather in micro gatherings in this season, rather than for our church members and leaders to spend dozens of hours preparing and facilitating multiple restricted non-relational gatherings in our building. You know, scripture is clear that gathering together is essential, but the size and space is not uh, sacred. So, so really, as, as we've thought about that, we said, man, we, we really want to bring people together uh, as best as we can. And, and to be honest, this is a huge shift. Although community is in our DNA, this is a huge shift. And this is a, a huge difference for us. Since, since we launched in September 2013, we had never had a Sunday without new people. Hmm. So, so I think that was like, uh, what is that now? Like 250 Sundays in a row. Like we had had new people walking in our building every single week. So it's not that not gathering in a building is easy or that, you know, changing the playbook for Sundays was simple or quick. Um, it's, it's different, but we really felt like that's what God's calling us to in this season. No, that's so good, man. And I was going to say, Tim, too, like 90% uh, in small groups, how in the world did that happen for you guys? Like obviously prayer, faithfulness, but is there, I mean, when you said that statistic, I was like, what? What did you say? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's back that up. Let's yeah, rewind so, the tape. What is absolutely. So there are, are there are probably two two main things that I would attribute that to. One, we talk about it all the time. Mm. So even even our language is very specific. I drive new staff members insane because uh, I don't let them call Sunday a service. I, and I drilled them on it all the time. We call Sunday a gathering because we view Sunday as a gathering of community groups. And we tell people that we gather on Sunday and we scatter into community throughout the week. Mm -hmm. um, so for us in everything that we do, everything that we say, church is both and, 
it's it's both the weekend and the week, not either or. Um, and, and sometimes I'll say it in pretty strong and clear terms. Like I regularly tell people that you haven't really experienced our church if you haven't connected in community. Uh, so we talk about it all the time. And, you know, if somebody has been in our church for a few months and we've identified, hey, they're coming consistently on Sundays, but they haven't yet uh, connected in a community group. Normally, I'll take somebody out, uh, somebody like that out to lunch and just try to ask, hey, where are you at? What's going on? Can make an invitation and try to be intentional. Uh, I'm happy we're at 90%. Our goal is 100%. Uh, and, that, and that's probably not uh, totally realistic in all seasons, but uh, that doesn't mean we're going to stop stretching for it. Um, so I think the second thing we've done is we've really normalized community as the main thing. Uh, we tell people we are a church of community groups, not a church with community groups, meaning that community groups are a secondary optional thing for the spiritually elite. We believe that community is our lifeline. When you look at scripture, like Jesus doesn't call us to follow him alone. Um, so that impacts all of our systems and structures even. So um, when somebody visits our church, first part of the guest follow-up process is inviting them into community. Uh, when they go through growth track, which is our assimilation process, we're highlighting for them the importance of community and helping them to migrate into it. Um, for us, it's a membership requirement. If you're going to be a member in our church, you're in a community group. And we actually do something unique. We do an annual membership renewal where uh, every year our members have to renew their membership. And in that, they have to uh, affirm that they're in a community group. And sometimes they're not. So that's a really great opportunity for us to shepherd them back into community. Um, we're regularly telling stories of community, integrating it into preaching, making it an application to a sermon, and, and even highlighting it as the system of care. Yeah. Like uh, everything, it's, it is the common thread, the main thread through everything. So I was going to ask you, you know, when you say, you know, those two things, which I think are really good. The next question I have is how then do you have that many groups available? Like, so how, what is that? <laughs> like, cause obviously I agree with everything you said, but I think the, the question is going to be, well, that's great. So how, you know, how do we get leaders, enough leaders to do these groups? Yeah. So we, we do it imperfectly. We've experimented with a lot. Um, I think early on we used to uh, multiply groups, you know, where we would set a metric, hey, once a group gets to 20, every group has a leader and a co-leader, 10 people stay with one leader, 10 people go with another. And that we, we eventually found that was almost eroding community yeah. where people were saying like, I don't want to get close to these people because you're just going to rip half of them away, <laughs> like, uh, which yeah. is a legitimate concern. Um, so really, we tried to make it much more about having a sending culture where we're not going to rip half of your spiritual family away, but maybe within that spiritual family, God's raising up people to be sent out and to go start their own. So rather than pulling 10 people, maybe there's, maybe there's a couple that God's placed a call on them for their neighborhood, or maybe there's somebody that they're a developing leader that they're being raised up and they're ready to be sent out and start a new group. Um, try to do it much more like that. Uh, a lot of it just comes through intentionality, just yeah. trying to identify and to even call out the potential in people. Uh, a lot of our new groups, whether it's new host or new leaders, don't self-identify or self-volunteer. We're not sitting back waiting for people to come to us. We're going to them and saying, hey, we see these gifts, these passions, these talents within you. Have you ever thought about maybe being used by God to uh, launch a community. They're the best community group I've ever been a part of. Um, I recruited the host, asked her to step out. Major introvert, it was a major stretch for her. We started out and there were three of us. The host, me, and my wife. That was it. Uh, week two, we grew by 25%. We added a fourth person who is dating the host's daughter. Um, so, uh, little by, it's, it's not always quick and it's not always easy, but what ended up happening long-term is that, that host who is a major introvert caught a vision on Sundays for connecting unconnected people. Mm. And every Sunday she made it a goal to go in and sit next to somebody she didn't know to ask them if they were connected in the community. If not, she'd invite them over. That group ended up being the catalyst for six other groups in our church. 
through one lady's faith, through one lady's intentionality, one person at a time, one week at a time, it grew and grew and grew and God raised more people up and we sent them out. And every time people would be raised up and sent out almost instantly, there would be that many more people connecting to that group. Mm. So you'd send out five and you'd gain six. (laughs) You'd send out eight and you'd gain 10. And just seeing the the multiplying effect of that was really, really awesome to see. Mm. It's really cool, man. So Tim, your role within the group life of the church is uh, obviously vision casting. Um, but as I've listened to you talk, I would just love to hear your take on pastors, lead pastors in particular, their role. And again, I know you're not doing a uh, like prescription to what everybody right. should do, but giving the description of what you do. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I do think it is telling to me a bit about how you've prioritized it. So can you share with us about what your role or how you envision your role within uh, the groups there at, at Restored? Yeah. A long time ago, I had a mentor that challenged me. He said, the larger your church grows and the higher you climb in leadership, the easier it's going to be for you to insulate and isolate yourself from the people with whom Jesus spent the majority of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's been a, a really foundational principle that I never want to get to a point where my, my community is only at the leadership level where I'm only investing in people that have an immediate return on investment or people that are easier, higher caliber or what, like I I'm called as a person, apart from being a pastor, I'm called to be a part of the body of Christ. So and I, I just want to be actively engaged in community myself. I want my family actively involved in community. I want my girls to grow up, see a mommy and daddy live in community and to know what that's about. And really, I want to lead by example. So I don't want to call other people to do what I'm not. I don't want to call other people to do what I'm unwilling to do. Um, if community is as much a part of the New Testament as what I read, I don't want to ever get to a point where I isolate myself from being a key part of it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, yeah, I think that's been super helpful just in keeping me tethered in a lot of ways. So I'm not in community as an expert, as a sage, as a catalyst, those, those arenas do come out at times, but man, I'm much more there as a person, as a follower of Jesus uh, than I am a pastor. Um, I believe community is essential for every single one of us, myself included. So, and there are times where I'm able to come alongside of people in community and that's beneficial. Man, there are other times where community has come alongside me and my family and has been such a huge part of I don't want to just dish out to the rest of the body of Christ what I'm not experiencing myself within the body of Christ. That's so good, man. So are you typically leading groups? Like when you're in a community group, are you a participant participant or, okay. Yeah. So I, that that hasn't always been, it's been a couple seasons where I've said, Hey, I just want to participate, but normally uh, I try to lead one and I try to, uh, I try to identify a reluctant leader and place them in the driver's seat and my success comes through their success i don't i don't want to carry the load i want to raise them up i want to equip and empower them and and i want to help them get to a point where they can then replicate into somebody else's leadership down the road so good man well this is really important because i think it helps us to understand micro gatherings in the sense of why Tim would make a, sh- a shift like this while it's not easy because gatherings have been a big part. And I want you to hear, cause I've talked to Tim about this before. He's not saying, Hey, it's either this or that. He's saying it's, and <laughs> you know, it's both. And yeah. yeah, it's both. And it's, you know, and at some point, you know, Lord willing sooner than later, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I believe we both want to gather together and have a celebration in person, but not to negate the importance of community and relationships because a gathering cannot produce that, you know, that, that cannot, it can help to bring some of those things out, but it's not the same thing as what Tim was just describing there. And so as you think about a micro gathering, I I just wanted you to walk us through, you know, what a micro gathering is, some of the nuts and bolts of it, like how, you know, how have you identified leaders? Um, You know, as you, as you think about, 
even the process of, of getting people involved? You know, what is the content creation? Like, just walk us through, you know, all these, you know, processes for a micro gathering. And I want to give you room to just kind of share that because I think that they all obviously work together. Yeah, absolutely. So, so why don't we start with what is a micro gathering? Uh, really, we've defined a micro gathering as a group of people meeting in a home for an interactive time of worship and relationships centered on Jesus. Um, like I said earlier, gathering together is essential. Scripture is clear about that. The church cannot be 100% online forever and be all that God called the church to be. Uh, but the cool thing is we can engage in worship and scripture in a living room, just like we would in a building. Um, and, and one of the, the benefits of that is through the micro gatherings, we have an opportunity to cultivate relationships or spiritual family and community that last far beyond one hour together per week. Um, so, you know, just for, for clarity's sake, you know, I know a lot of uh, churches in this season are doing what they're calling watch parties. And those are working great for some. I, for for us, I, I wanted something to be more participatory than spectator. Um, if I have a choice between watching the same thing on my couch or somebody else's couch, yeah. uh, it's probably easier for me to watch it on mine. But if I'm going to go to somebody's house and if I'm going to be with a group of people, I want to figure out how we can actually be better and stronger together than we would be apart. Um, so really, I, I think one of my pastoral concerns is and I think it would be easy in this COVID season for us to maybe accidentally disciple people into idleness mm. by not having many opportunities for them to use their gifts. Yeah. Uh, so really micro gatherings came from a, uh, the heart of how can we bring people together in a way where they can be the body of Christ to each other. Mm. Uh, so the cool thing is uh, micro gatherings don't require a leader. Mm. Uh, we're, it just requires space, a host. So we're providing all the leadership for people through our gathering stream. So we actually redesigned our online gathering to facilitate interaction. Yeah. Um, so what we did uh, on Facebook Live and on YouTube prior to launching micro gatherings is, is distinctly different than what we do now. Now there will be some interactive times with questions to prompt conversations or prayer times or uh, specific times carved out to share. Um, and so it's cool because it, it makes the opportunity significantly more accessible for people to exercise hospitality. Um, the other thing we've done is we've created what, what we're calling a spiritual conversation guide. Uh, for those of you that listen to Craig Rochelle and his leadership podcast, one of my favorite episodes is where Craig talks about the forbidden phrase in their organization. He says, we never utter the phrase, people can't, people won't, people don't. He said that for them and their organization, they always say, we've not led people to. And I think, man, for a lot of us in churches, we've not led people to have intentional spiritual conversations. And what I found is a lot of people want to have spiritual conversations, but they don't know how to start them and they don't know how to navigate them. So these spiritual conversation guides are available to everybody in our church. Uh, almost like sermon-based small groups. They, they follow our series in First Peter right now and equip every person to be able to, to ask questions, to talk through application points, and also to give resources for further study on their own time if they want to dive deeper into a topic or a passage that we're talking about. So each week we make that available to everybody in our church. It's not a requirement, uh, but uh, some of the micro-gatherings use them, some of them don't. The cool thing is even for those that aren't yet in a micro-gathering, it empowers spouses, parents, friends, and, and more to be able to engage in intentional conversations with those that they're close to as well. Um, so really, uh, aside from streaming the interactive gathering, our hosts have complete freedom to make it whatever they feel like God wants them to. So there's really no one set way to do a micro gathering. Really, as, as pastors, we want to live out Ephesians 4 and help coach and support our people in whatever they believe will fit their group. Um, so their time together can be short or long. It can be structured or free flowing. It can be socially distant or more relaxed. They have the opportunity to kind of define those terms in the context of their own home. And what's cool is that diversity is playing out. Every host is doing it differently. So my group, we have eight adults, eight kids, uh, so eight adults will hang out in the living room, the eight kids, they're hanging out in the backyard, they're having a blast. 
uh, we've got another group, a uh, couple of older people in our church came and said, Hey, we're, we're being pretty cautious and careful. We're really avoiding crowds and large gatherings, but you know, we miss people and we want to be connected. Do you have a couple of other older people in our church who, you know, are also being cautious that could the three or four of us do a micro gathering together? Right. I said, absolutely. Um, we have some micro gatherings that have said, Hey, we're a great setup for kids. We have other locations. They've said, Hey, we're, we're not set up for kids. That's not going to work well here. Uh, some of them are doing breakfast beforehand or lunch afterwards. Some of them are having spontaneous prayer times. They're telling me they're praying for like an hour after the micro gather. Like, it's awesome. A uh, couple of them, they've said like, Hey, we're, we're pulling out the board games and we're spending the whole afternoon together. And none of that structure, all we've done is just serve up a platform for opportunity for people to do whatever they feel like God is calling them to do outside of that one hour gathering stream. Um, so yeah, we're trying right now to get 75% of our church in a micro gathering. We're talking about it every week. Uh, really we're not trying to pressure or guilt people, but what we're doing is every week we're inviting them into it as they're willing and able. Um, so what we've done is there's, there's one form that everybody fills out. Um, and we try to place them with a group that fits their geography and their comfort level. So, you know, I had one lady that just, uh, joined this past Sunday and she said, Hey, I'm, I'm really not comfortable going into a packed out living room. Like, do you, do you have a group that's maybe a little smaller? People are a little cautious. There's some people that said, Hey, I, I would love to go, but I'd like to go to a group where people are wearing masks. There've been others that have said, Hey, I want to go to a place that has childcare, um, different, different options, which is great. So we're not really fighting about, do we wear masks? Do we not? Are we socially distant? Are we not? We can kind of align people with their individual convictions, which is nice and not have to have one uniform response across the board. Uh, really what we've done is we've told our hosts that we're not going to publicly list any of our group locations because we don't want our hosts to ever have to worry about anyone unexpected showing up. Uh, the host set the, the size and the dynamic for what they're looking to facilitate in their home. And then as people fill out that form, then I'll reach out to a host, say, hey, this lady in Wilkesbury, she's looking for a group. Do you think this would be a good fit? If so, the host will then follow up and give them any specific location about, you know, the locations, parking, precautions, any other details, things like that. That's, that's really good, man. Like, so people go online, right? And they fill out a form. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us the site for them to go to, to do that? Just so people can look at it and see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's restoredchurch.org backslash micro. Yeah. And so I uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Side note. I was just going to mention, actually, we're so like bought into this idea moving <laughs> forward. We're actually redesigning our whole website around. Uh, right now it's just like, we haven't done a great job of the online communications side of it, mm. but I'm currently in the process of building a whole new website that make micro gatherings that make community the main thing. And so when you go to our website, hopefully a month from now, you won't have any question about who we are, what we're going for, yeah. what we're doing. It's going to be clear as day. It's going to be easy and obvious uh, what we're all about and how you can get connected. Oh man. So, so good. So people can go online and then, you know, they, they register and then you guys work with them and the potential host or, or the host that you guys have to say, Hey, we're, this is um, potentially a good fit. You know, does this work? You, you run it by the leader beforehand, right? Before saying yes. Hey, Correct. and then, and then on Thursday, let me rephrase that. Thursday, you do the videoing, right? Is that how that works? Like, so you do the content, pre-re- you pre-record content, right? We do. So yeah, as far as content creation, like I said, really the goal of all the content is to facilitate interaction. The way that plays out is uh, I kick off every week with a five-minute vision talk, um, kind of the leadership concept of drip feeding. If you're familiar with that, where I'm, I'm trying to drip feed the vision and keep it front and center every week, highlight the the what, the what, why, or the why, what, and wins of microgathering every week. Uh, you hear that in the first five minutes, a different facet of it. Uh, so there's a vision talk. Our worship team does two songs. Uh, there's several interactive or prayer times interspersed within those where we might say, hey, take the next few minutes and talk about this. Or, hey, in the next five minutes, spend time. So this week, for instance, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to pray for our city. We're going to pray for city officials, for school leaders, 
for those in the community that they're really faced with some impossible decisions right now. And uh, there aren't a whole lot of people that are encouraging uh, them, much less praying for them. So mm -hmm. our church wants to focus on praying for community leaders. And then second part of that, we're going to come back on and say, all right, now we've prayed for extended community in our city. Let's pray for the immediate community in the room. What's God burdening you with? Like spend some time sharing that with your micro gathering right now. Um, so I'll do a sermon. I've cut my sermons down to 30 minutes on purpose. Um, attention span on my screen is a little shorter than it is in person. <laughs> um, but the other part is after every sermon, we have a reflection time where we're then asking our micro gatherings to spend some time talking about, reflecting on the passage, the message, what they need to apply, spend time talking about that. So yeah, we're recording all of that in advance. We're editing it, uh, you know, mixing it all together. Uh, we upload it to Facebook and YouTube as a premiere. Um, and then we're also writing and uploading the spiritual conversation guide each week. So I write that when I'm preaching the questions that reflect that. And that's, uh, if you want to check out one of those, it's just restoredchurch.org backslash talk. Mm. That'll take you to that week's spiritual conversation guide. That's really good, Tim. Man, I, I love the heart of this too, because even uh, one of the things you said to me is, you know, you guys have cut down even not only the, the preaching part of it and teaching, but also the songs. So you guys do like two songs, right? Every Sunday right now, because and he, he made a great observation. It's just awkward uh, when it's, you know, like 10 of you singing, like, you know, it, you can make it work, but it's like, eh, like people are a little less like, um, uh, likely to sing out like that because more people can hear you. And they're like, you're off pitch, you know, and you know, I don't, I don't want to sing that loud, you know, or I don't want to, I don't want to overpower somebody. And so I think that's even a good observation too, about, you know, in this season and regardless of where you land, and I love Tim's heart in this, it's, it's not about a silver bullet or one size fits all, but I do think the principle is important and I don't want us to miss this. And that is connection, engagement, and community. We are in desperate need of that right now. Uh, I'm, I'm watching even in real time what happens when true connection does not take place. And a lot of things are just assumed or misinterpreted. And then you're trying to over social media, fake connection and engagement, but that is not the real thing. That's not the genuine thing. Uh, really you need, whether it's, and I understand zoom can work for some of this. And I think it's a really helpful thing, but, zoom and 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 or in-person opportunities as well as you're you're comfortable and able to do that but don't discount the importance of it because i, I do think we are in the relationship business we are about connecting community and engagement it's so easy and i love how tim, tim even said for his own tethering sake he's a part of not only a community group but now a micro gathering you know mm -hmm. he's He's tethered, and, and reason why we need to be tethered because it's so easy without us even knowing it to become detached from what's maybe happening, and we're not even uh, un, uncaring or unaware. It's just easy to um, be working on it versus working in it with people, and I think group life that way with people that are waiting in the wings, so to speak, is a great opportunity to empower because in real time, you get to do it with them. And the goal isn't for you to do everything. The goal is to raise up care and equip these leaders because as we are going to see, you know, there's multiplication that's going to need to take place. And, and that's one of the things that Tim is trying to even work through is like, hey, man, we need more macro <laughs> gatherings, right? We need more groups. We need, and as, as that is happening, the question is, hey, who are we going to raise up next? Uh, and and I, I think that's a really an important part. Have you seen that to be a challenge, Tim, to be able to take uh, new leaders on or to find new leaders in this micro-gathering setting? Yeah, so I, I would say it's, uh, again, it's, it's much more accessible than what typical uh, church structure would be yeah. uh, because it, we're doing all the leading through, the, through a screen, through the, the online right. gathering stream. So like, uh, you don't necessarily have to have a leader in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, and what that means is that uh, now every, every person, every home is an option. You don't, you don't have a bar that's unattainable to 85% of people in the church. Like anybody can host a microgather. It's great. And they're, uh, I would say this is even uh, drawing out like reluctant leaders. Um, so those that 
they wouldn't aspire to or even view themselves as leaders, but they'll open their home. And through that, they're being exposed to opportunity and engagement and serving in a way that they never would have just by idly sitting back and letting somebody else quote unquote lead. Um, so that's been cool. I mean, it's definitely a challenge. I would say probably two challenges that we're working through are um, getting people to see that this isn't a lesser form of church. Um, like this is different. No question about it. Uh, but to be honest, this is actually how most effective gospel multiplying movements are happening in other countries. They're not happening through large gatherings as much as they're happening through multiplying communities. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, my sermon this week, I'm, I'm talking about that. Uh, the Bible describes the church as a movement, hmm. but rather than a movement, you often see one of two realities in the American church. You either see the church operating as a museum or as a machine. Yeah. And neither the museum nor the machine produces the type of intentional, relational, biblical multiplication that you see in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so seeing seeing how a different form of church is still able to accomplish, you know, the biblical mandates of the church has been really cool. Uh, but I think the other thing, this is, you know, across the board in this cultural moment, just working through diversity is challenging. Um, I have repeatedly told our church throughout the season, we just need to learn how to have grace for each other. Yeah, that's right. And, and to be honest, like we've become quite tribal in our isolation especially as followers of Jesus, uh, which I think is a sad reality. I think some are passionate about physical health and are concerned about people getting sick and dying. Some are passionate about mental health and are concerned about depression and higher suicide rates from quarantine and isolation. Some are passionate about economic health and are concerned about jobs, companies, retirement. Some are concerned about political health and are concerned about government overreach, elections, justice, and some are passionate about spiritual health and are concerned about the effects that all of this is having on our souls. And all of those are legitimate. Mm -hmm. But what we've done is we've almost splintered into five different ideological tribes (laughs) where, man, when I read Ephesians 4, we're we're called to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So you can be passionate about one of those five things, keep your passion in check and still be unified with people who don't, uh, who aren't necessarily sharing your passion. But I, I think both in, in social media and even in our just interactions in person, like we got to learn how to have grace for each other. And, and I think the, really, I think that's one of the things that community kind of works out within us. Yeah. Like when you're around real messy people consistently, it's, you know, we, we keep referring to it as spiritual family, but I mean, you think about the dysfunction that all of us have in our families, mm-hmm. like as families, well, you, you figure it out. Like you, you work through it. There's kind of this like relational endurance present in, in many family dynamics, not all, but, but hopefully there's a relational endurance in family dynamics that can also be mirrored with a relational endurance in spiritual family. Uh, which that's what Jesus called us to. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. And I think kind of the opposite is being seen right now. Sadly, I think a lot of people look at the church at large or they look at the people of the church's social media presence and they say, man, if that's what being a follower of Jesus is, I'm out. I don't want that because there's, there, there's not an inherent unity and attractiveness to our community that, man, we gotta, we got to work that out. Um, yeah, yeah. I was a little, say, rab- little rabbit trail. No, there, but, but I think but you're it's, right. It's being lived out in this season. Yeah. We're seeing that in our micro gatherings uh, on the weekend and our community groups during the week. Like we're working through that just like everybody else's. It's a challenge. Well, I was just reading through uh, John 17 this uh, today with our, we had a prayer meeting uh, through zoom uh, this morning, or excuse me, this afternoon for our lunchtime and, as you read through John 17, it's like such a beautiful prayer that Jesus prays. Um, but the question he, I ask us to think about is, are we an answer to the prayer request of Jesus? Because he prayed for us to be one. He prayed not for uniformity, but unity. 
He even talks about the person who's going to betray him in that prayer, <laughs> the one who's going to betray him and, and hand him over. And yet I think about before he even prays that, how his enemy, he, he like just a day or, or two before that washes his feet. You know, Jesus is washing his enemy's feet. And, and while we wouldn't consider everybody a Judas who's our, our enemy, I think in an ideology, we tend to say it's this or that, or, you know, you're for me or against me versus no, we're in it together. How can I take on a posture that's saying, I'm willing to wash your feet, even if I don't see eye to eye with you. And if I can't do that, really, can I say I'm, I'm per, you know, protecting and promoting unity? Uh, because really, it wasn't that they were the same that allowed the church to move forward, but the church actually cannot move forward without this type of community that Tim's describing with real long lasting unity. I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that we can have all the great mission, multiplication, vision. Like I, I, and I'm all about all three of those things. Those are words that yeah. I use often, but I'm, the more I study it and the more I look at leadership and, and the reality without true unity, you cannot have the kind of fruit Jesus prayed for. Yeah. Unity, and I, yeah. And I think on the, on the flip side, like, yeah, there are challenges and this is messy and this is risky and there's plenty to work through, but man, just seeing the fruit we're, we've done micro gatherings for the last six weeks. Yeah. So we're, we're up to 16 different locations we've had and just seeing the wins that are being produced through it. Like, man, we're seeing relationships and encouragement uh, being okay. cultivated on a whole new level. Just the, the flexibility of the model, like I was saying, people are exercising their spiritual gifts in ways that they would never be able to in a large restricted gathering. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's one micro gathering that there's a, a host who's just a really awesome godly lady. And to be honest, she could, she could lead that group in some awesome ways. Uh, but instead, she intentionally identified a teenager in her group. She handed her the spiritual conversation guide and said, hey, why don't you lead us in this discussion? The girl did an incredible job. And I, I've got to think that that affirmation of a teenager in community, you have something to offer. We want to give you a part to participate. Like, I, I think that's really cool. You know, hearing stories of people praying for an hour. Like, when was the last time we had a story like that after a, a, a normal large church gathering, right? Like, uh, we're even seeing new people get connected. So there are people that have never been in our church building that have gotten connected through a micro gathering because a neighbor invited them, a friend invited them, like, and they're, they're really being incubated in gospel relationships, which is really cool. Um, the, the probably one of the things that excites me too is the missional component of we have hosts that have intentionally chosen to open their homes for two reasons. One, because they want to invite people in, but two, because they have an unchurched spouse an unchurched child that they're trying to reach and those unchurched spouses and those unchurched children who don't really come to our church on a Sunday morning are actually engaging in relationships and in conversation in the micro gathering that's happening in their home, own home. Like the gospel is being brought to their living room in a way that's really conversational and accessible, which is really cool. It's so good, man. And so I wanted to ask you, Tim, just a couple of things. One is what resources, if any, would you recommend for people to check out if they're looking for more information around micro gatherings? Yeah. So, um, might hear micro gatherings and you might think micro church. Uh, there are definitely elements of the micro church movement that we've been learning from. So, uh, Brian Sanders with Tampa underground, uh, they have an entire library of, uh, digital courses. There's one that I'm taking about 30 of our people through right now called seven shifts. Um, to move the church toward network, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, the Timothy Initiative is an awesome discipleship movement we're uh, leaning into and learning from right now. There's a, a leader by the name of Doug Paul. I was a part of a six-week cohort uh, that he started with a bunch of microchurch leaders from across the nation. Uh, and we're not full-out microchurch. We're not going totally that complete decentralization like sell the building, no meat and large gap. We're not, we're not going to that extreme, but man, I think there's a real healthy balancing diversity there in that movement mm -hmm. uh, where it's very kingdom oriented. It's very teamwork focused. It's um, very collaborative, uh, which is really cool. So all three of those I would highly recommend. 
That's so good, man. Well, how can people connect with you, Tim? Is, is there ways in which people could connect with you um, as they may have questions or want to learn more? Yeah, I'd love to interact. Um, you can shoot me an email, tim at restoredchurch.org. Uh, that's probably the, the easiest way um, to get a hold of me. Uh, you can find me on social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, uh, as is our church, Restored Church. You can look us up on social media, uh, our website, restoredchurch.org. Uh, or if you hear me talk about like this interactive gathering stream, you're wondering what that looks like, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel, restoredchurch.org backslash YouTube. You can actually watch one of our online gatherings just to kind of like be able to visualize everything that we're talking about to see how it translates from what's on paper to what's actually happening in reality. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, I'm so thankful for you, my brother, and grateful for the good work God's doing in you through you as uh, the husband that you are, the father that you are, and the leader uh, that you are uh, as a, a son of, of God and, and walking in your identity as one who's fully loved and uh, fully rejoiced over uh, because of what Jesus says about you and has done for you, man. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the good work that you're doing in the work of Restored Church. We're grateful to call you Kingdom Partners. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. 